we thank you for the blessing, Lord God. As I see all the people in all the seats, Lord God, I think to myself, there is no way one person did this. You're the only person who did it. They didn't come for us. They came because you called them. And you know what? You had a way. There was a period of time where um, even the church as a whole in, in, in the United States and in the world after COVID thought that doors would be closing up and people would be leaving and pastors, 47% of pastors left because they were discouraged and uh, doors closed. But look, a part of faith as I see it is waiting, is trusting. It's this, it's a reminding of us and to us that you have a plan. You've always had a plan. This is about you. It's not about us. It's never been about us. And us working out our faith is surrendering to that truth that life is not primarily about us. And the joy and the fulfillment that we desire happens when we surrender. Lord God, we pray that. Please, Lord God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay. Um, let's read from chapter 6, verse 19. Jesus, speaking to the crowd, said this, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where, moth, where moths and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there, listen, this is a big one, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. For years and years, I used to think that was the other. Where your heart is, there's your treasure. No, where your treasure is, there's your heart. There are certain unfailable tests in life. How I use my resources, where I spend my time is where my passion is. It kind of is. I can't escape it. I can say whatever I want to say because oftentimes there's a disconnect between what I say and what I believe and what I do. See, God wants to bring us to wholeness where what we say, think, and believe come in alignment with what we do. See? So then he says this. Um, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is good, then your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, then your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light which is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? That means for salvation to come to life inside of us, something transitional has to happen. Remember what Jesus said to Nicodemus. He said, Nicodemus comes out, he goes, hey, you're obviously from God. I can see all the things you're doing. How about this? Let's sit down and kind of see if we can have some kind of partnership. Jesus goes, stop. We can't go any further, for I tell you the truth. Unless a man be born again, he cannot even enter through the door. Of the kingdom of heaven. What he was saying is, you're religious, you're a good man, you've come with good intentions, but you know what you're not? You're not born again. The Spirit hasn't given you eternal life. So you're walking past me, not even realizing who I am. You think you're going to be partners with me? The reality is, you have to get from me what only I can give you. I have to bring you to life. I'm not just your partner. See? That's the difference between religion and salvation. 
Jesus then says in verse 24, for no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. For you cannot serve both God and money. Okay, uh, this is God's word. When you read this, you, you, you might have a tendency to believe that God is against money. He's not. When you read the whole of the scripture, money is neither good nor bad. It's neutral. It's in between. But we all know here, money's got power. It has power to turn our thinking. It has power to motivate our actions. It has power to give us peace, and it has power to to make us very anxious. Isn't that true? So anything that has that kind of power has potential to become an idol. Anything can become an idol. Relationships can become an idol. Family can become an idol. Success can become an idol. Uh, Good looks can become an idol. Anything, I mean anything, pleasure, comfort, all these things can become idols. They were intended to be good, good gifts, but because of this power and because of the brokenness of our flesh, they can become something that enslaves us. And that's the truth of idols. We're going to talk a little bit about idols today, too. Well, it sounds like Jesus is saying, I'm against money, I'm against work, don't do it. No. First of all, whenever you're reading the scripture, you have to remember the context in which it's given. This was a people who were focusing on the wrong things at the wrong time. They believed in God, they had a relationship with God, but you know what they were doing? They were living their life under their own strength. They were living their life looking out for themselves. They had a genuine belief in God, but they never had a trust in him. They never surrendered to him. They couldn't trust in him, so they created a contractual agreement with God. A contract's different than a covenant. Contract's me and you in the business deal, and I'm writing this to hold you to what I want from you, and you write it to hold me to what you want from me. But God says, I'm not interested in contracts. I give covenants. You know what that means? I will tell you what I will promise to you. And one thing that we can trust about God is that when he makes a covenant, he's not just making a covenant with me. He's making a covenant with himself. Why can we trust in Jesus for all these good things? Because the Son made a covenant to the Father, and the Father made a covenant to the Son. We reaped all of its benefits. And they paid all its costs. It's amazing. It's truly amazing. And when that truth comes alive, everything, and I mean everything, is now on the table. Everything matters. Everything can be changed. And one of those things is work. Is work. Let me give you a couple statistics about work. Okay. According to Gallup poll, 80 to 70% of all the American workforce is actively, by their own admission, disengaged. That means they go there, they try to think about something else, they don't really care about it, they're looking for the end of the day, they just want to get through because they want the paycheck. Even if they're not satisfied with the paycheck, they want the paycheck. Okay, 50%. No, I'm sorry, 58% of all employees that were acted, listen to this, listen to this, they trust a stranger to have better intentions toward them than their boss or their employer. 
I bet there's people in this room, me for one. I, I'm absolutely convinced my, my employers and my bosses have failed. And you know what? That causes me more, more than anything else. It's got nothing to do with money for me at work. One of my biggest problems is that I feel like you could care less about me. You know, let me tell you something. I don't, I'm not here to, to bash the city, but I knew a guy named Billy King during the big storm of 2011. Billy King was one of those guys. He'd get out, shovel, do all these things. What did he do? Got stuck his truck in a garbage truck not too far from here. Got out, started shoveling. Had a massive heart attack. Died in his garbage truck seat. You know what they did? They got the ambulance to take him out, take him to the hospital, and then they replaced him and sent the truck into the alley. I, I still am overwhelmed by that picture. And, 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 and I understand what their position is, but I still thought to myself, wow, this is a life. This is a life. Only 12% of all employees who leave a company leave because they feel they're not getting paid. 79% of people who leave cite the reason they feel unappreciated. That's why they leave. They feel like we, nobody ever recognizes us. 50%, listen to this, super sad. 50% of all the workforce in the United States leave paid vacation hours on the books each year. When asked, they cite fear of being left behind or falling back too far to get ahead again. That means that's not slavery, folks. I don't know what is. That's literally a culture where you're like, oh, my gosh, if I don't keep going, everything I have in my hands is now at risk. Can I tell you, that's a danger of idolatry. Anything I have in my hands, that I value, as much as I value God, promises me lots of stuff. But what it really gives me is slavery because I'll do anything to keep it. God says, no, no, no. I've come to give, not to get. You've got nothing for me. I've come to give you freedom. But in order for you to have that, you've got to recognize that this is something that's going to kill you. And you've got to say, well, I think I've got to separate myself. That's what repentance really is. Let's keep going back to those stats. 53% are unhappy at their work. 80% said that they have no life-work balance. It is absolutely impossible for them. I can tell you the truth. That's sometimes one of the greatest triggers in my life. I am at my most dangerous to myself when I think to myself, I'm in a tunnel of work and I can't get out of it. I don't see any light. Here's another one. 62% have cited that they work in toxic work environments. 60% of management, management, feel they live with an incredible crushing, their words, not mine, daily stress every day to meet the demands of upper management. Wow, this is crazy stuff. These are like really staggering statistics. You know, one of the things that I love about the Bible is when you start reading it, I don't know about you, I came from the Catholic Church, that was one thing we didn't read. Strangely enough, we were advised not to. I don't think that was all, but hey. But, well, I know why, because once you read it, it's an eye-opener. <laughs> so, I, and I'm not here to bash the Catholic Church, please. Uh, but I want to say this. When I started to read the Bible, I was like, wow, there's a lot of stuff that's talked about that I would never figure is supposed to be in a holy book. There's a lot of gray areas here that I don't necessarily see strict black and strict white. 
God does things with certain people that I'm like, why on earth would you do that with that person? And this person, no. Why would you choose them over them? I don't oftentimes get it. And you know what else I understand? Is that sometimes God uses language that's very visceral. Very, very visceral. Which indicates that God is intensely feeling. Never sinful, but intensely feeling. And there's no subject, and I mean no subject, that's off limits. And it offers us truth in every area of our life. And work is one of those things. One of the things that I said was, I knew that this series was coming for a while, and I kept reading the, the, the scriptures, and I, I don't ever look at the, email, uh, the outlines because I don't want it to shape the way I look at the scripture. So I look at the scripture first because I don't want it to tell me what I'm supposed to say. I want the scripture to tell me what I'm supposed to say. And I'm like, wait a minute, that scripture doesn't have anything to do with what you're preaching on. Um, but I didn't want to do this. I didn't want I, I didn't want to talk about work. It, the, the whole idea kind of left me uninspired. It's like, nah, I don't want to talk about work. Um, I'm not exactly, and I think the reason for me is this. Maybe, maybe it's for you. Maybe some people in this room love their job. Um, I'm not exactly super hyped about my job. I have found my job to be a place of disillusionment and dishonesty. I have experienced in 25 and a half years an environment of cliques, political bias, purposeful incompetence, laziness, and undependability. That's how our tax dollars are spent. And for years I used to think, well, this is uniquely the city of Chicago. It's literally the stereotype. But then I realized there's lots of work in Maryville, not just the city. It must not be the job. It must have to be humanity. See, that's what the secularist makes their mistake. They're like, well, if we just change the system, if we just change the government, if we just get a different political group in, things will get better. One common theme ruins everything. And you know who it is? Us. Jesus says, you want things to be great? Easy. Die. Wait, what? Die. Come to me. And I'll die. I'll, I'll put you to death. Slowly, surgically, but know this, I'm not going to leave you dead. I'm going to resurrect you. And when I say resurrect you, I'm not just going to bring you back to life. I'm going to make you better. That's what resurrection really is. I'm going to make you better. Um, I thought for many, many years uh, that because I worked effectively and efficiently, for the most part, I worked with a good attitude. And I, I can honestly say that. I think if you talk to anyone who worked with me, they would say, yeah, I don't know if everyone's going to like me, and I don't know if everyone should like me. Jesus said that. If everyone likes you, something's wrong. Um, but I do think, for the most part, and, and, and absolutely any boss who worked, I worked for said, yeah, he, he did what we expected, and he did a well, good job. But I made a mistake. I thought because I did those things, I should be rewarded. But you know what, though? I wasn't. You know why? Because humans rule the show. And humans will do what human beings do. They will give people who are incompetent, lazy, and undependable gifts because of political connection. Or just because of friendship, they'll advance and others won't. Some people will be in and some people will be out no matter what they do. And for years, 
words, I was so angry with the city. I can tell you, there have been times in my life where because I can be very resistant, and I'm not, I'm not proud of that, I look for ways to get even with the city. Get even with the city. I go, you guys, you want to treat me like this? I'll get you. And you know what I would do is I would pull back. I wouldn't give my best effort. Uh, that, that was stopped and arrested in my life. I could tell you that story later. When I met a guy at a Dunkin' Donuts at 2.30 in the morning, and I don't think it was a, a human being. I'm absolutely certain it was an angel who was telling me, you're looking at work from the wrong viewpoint. But because I'm stubborn, I still do it, right? Well, about a year ago, I got to this place to where I'm like, you know, I think I could be uh, in big trouble here because I'm starting to despise the people that I work with. And one thing that you think, or human beings have a tendency to think, if I let my anger out a little bit and I vent it, it'll be gone. That's a lie. When you let your anger out a little bit, it's like a beach. And it grows and grows and grows and grows until it's out and it says, okay, you go, go back in. And it goes, I'm not going anywhere. My anger and resentment went from a little group to a bigger group to a bigger group. And every time I come in, I'd be like, mm. My bosses would be there, and I'd look at them in their eyes. I didn't like them. I felt like you've been cheating me my whole career. You make me play by the rules, then when it's my turn to get in front, you change the rules on me. And it's the way I thought. And you know what? God does what he always does. He waits till my temper tantrum ended, till I poured myself out, right? And he showed me. You're thinking of this the wrong way. You're looking at your job as a place of self-affirmation. That's where I say, look, look, I did this and that and this and that. And, and because of these things, I, I'm okay. I'm, I've got value. I looked at this place where I worked as a place where I could reach my full potential. I thought I worked hard, I'll get rewarded accordingly, and then I could have all these things. I don't know about you. When my kids were little, I used to look at my house from my backyard, and I used to go, man, we are just jammed in this house. I feel like the little old lady who lives in a Jew. Man, three kids, four kids in one room, we were, oh, it's so tight. And I go, we need to build up. And I used to pray about it all the time. Strangely enough, I had an even brother, a Christian brother, who say, you don't have enough faith. God will give you what you ask for. No, he won't. You know why? Now I look back at my kids and I say to myself, thank you for not letting me grow that house. I'd be paying more taxes, and now my children are gone. It would be empty. Do you know what God said? Your family is the way it is and loves each other the way it is because you all had to sleep in the same rooms together. You couldn't run away from one another. You know what? My family, old school, nobody had, who had a big house when they were a kid? Nobody. We all slept. I remember I slept in a house where my mother and father slept in the front room on a trundle bed. My sister, the queen, but she is a queen. I love her, man. I love her. She loved me. She had her own room. And me and my five brothers all slept in one room. I remember one time, I can tell you, my one brother, because they were rascals, got sick on my other brother, rolled over and bleh, right on him in the middle of the night. 
we would fight. We would fight. Although I was little, I, 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 come on, we all seen it. Well, let me just tell you something. We could fight with each other, but at the end of the day, nobody could fight with us. Because if you fought with us, you were fighting with all of us, you know? And I'm not saying that's good, but I am saying this. Love and blood is thicker than water, man. And if I grew up in a house where I had one place, and they had another place, and they had this place, and they had that place, they can grow up strangers in the same home. And that's what God reminded me. If you wanted a bigger house and it would have been separated your family, now look at them. And my kids all fall with each other, man. They all did. And I go, will you please just love each other? <laughs> to which my kids say, no, we wouldn't do that. <laughs> you know. But now, can I tell you something? As they get older, boy, they do love each other. They do love each other. So I want us to understand this. Work is part of God's plan. It's not bad. As a matter of fact, it's good. Work is a good thing, and I have to keep that in my mind unless I hijack its purpose. Work is good unless I make it about something it's not supposed to be. Almost like this. My car can be good, but instead of putting oil, I put water because oil's too expensive. I'm going to destroy the car, correct? If I make work into something it's not supposed to be, it will crush me, it will enslave me, and it will leave me dead. But if I do what God wants, can I tell you something? When I surrender to what God wants, it becomes a place of worship. You're like, wait, what? It's a worship place. All right, so the Bible tells us this, that we, all of us, were made in his image. For years and years, not knowing what the Bible is, I'm like, what on earth does that mean? We're made in God's image. Well, this is what I'm convinced it means, that because we were human and uniquely us, think of the most beautiful thing you have ever seen in all creation. Stars, moons, nebulous, the ocean, the mountains, animals. Only human beings were made in God's image. Man, we're different. We are so different. We are endowed with things. I can't run like a deer. I'm not as strong as a, a grizzly bear. I am not majestic like a mountain. I'm not a, a, a beautiful and expansive as the ocean. But I'm made in God's image. And you know what? One of the ways that the world who rejects God and lives in darkness is they never recognize God. They live in a real darkness and confusion never knowing the glory that was intended for their life. So they find bad purposes. They find bad purposes. They go from things that are pointless and useless. They amass things that are garbage. And they look, look at my treasure. And in the fact, at the time of judgment, these things will be burned up as though they had no value at all. But this is not true for us. We have been called. And because we have been called by our creator, we have been endowed with divine characteristics. All human beings have a sense of moral goodness. We know that there's right and wrong. Although I'm going to explain in about two minutes how that's quickly changing before our eyes. Quickly changing. Okay? We all have a sense of justice and fair play. When we're cheated, we recognize it and we get angry. Who gets angry when they're cheated? You know when I really get cheated? When I get angry? When I see someone else who's weak or little, and they get cheated. 
No, I'm going to tell you, I don't know where you're at politically. I don't care where you're at politically. It's none of my business. With this immigration community, they were told one thing, and they're given something completely different. And these, oh, the vast majority that I've met, all they wanted was work. If that's not American, I don't know what the heck is. And they're, I, I, I'm not going to go on this thing, but I, I cry when I see them. I see these mothers. I saw this mother from Peru the other day had her baby attached to her back selling candy. She got a donation from somebody who had kindness on her. She got maybe 20 bucks, bought it, and now she's turning it over to make 40 bucks. And I was like, man, oh my God, please provide for these people. Please provide for these people. So we all have a sense of, of, of justice and fair play. We all value generosity and kindness. Every time we're around people who are generous and kind, it's a good environment and we want to do this. There's a fourth way that we resemble God. We value honesty and loyalty. You know why? We hate being lied to. We hate being cheated on, right? So we all were made in God's image in these ways, but we're also made in God's image to desire increase and gain full employment. That means when we recognize something's good, we want it to increase. We want it to be better. We want, it to, we want to figure out a way if we have this much to make this much. And there's nothing wrong with that. God said to Adam and Eve, his first federal humans, he said, go out, multiply, subdue the earth. That doesn't mean abuse the earth. It means use it, harness it, supervise it, produce out of it, and make it work with you and for you. But here's another thing that I think that we've also gotten from God is we desire gainful employment. You know what that means? I don't just want to work. I want to work for a good goal. Let me tell you a quick story. During the 1930s, the United States was in the middle of a depression. Franklin Delano Roosevelt said, man, we're going to pour money in people who need jobs. If they can just get jobs, we're going to get this country turned around. Well, they decided to build interstate highways through the Ohio Valley. It was called the WPA. Well, the WPA hired one million working age family men. Gave them a good salary. They had 40 hours a week of work, and they were working. Things were good. People were buying. They were growing all these things until they moved their headquarters from here to here, and they left the blueprints for the highway at the place. And you know what the blueprint said? The road that they were building was going to nowhere. It was just going to the Missouri border, and then there was no plans from then on in. And the plans went to everybody. Did you see this? Did you see this? Did you see this? Did you see this? And within one year, 75% of the workforce left, even though they were guaranteed work for four years. You know why? Nobody wants to work to go nowhere, right? This is what God has given us. We not only want work, we want work for a good goal. But when I hijack work and I misuse work and I misunderstand work and I see it from a bad point of view, I forget the most beautiful aspects of work. Let's keep moving forward. Um, I wanted to say this, and I, I don't want to take too long, but I can remember when I first came downtown, it was an early snow in uh, November, and I had the east-west streets from Wacker Drive all the way to Ida B. Wells, or Congress, and I was supposed to go up and down, and I was waiting for the snow, and I was on the ramp at Upper Wacker, and that's right along the river, 
and it was beautiful. The snow was starting to come down, and the lights were on, and the buildings were there. And I remember I was reading my devotional, and I, I had this devotional that I had, uh, and I was reading it, and I looked up, and I saw all the buildings, and I saw the creation. And I was like, wow. It's really, truly stunning. If you ever do it, you could do it to this day. Go up Upper Wacker, right up at the front by the Swiss Hotel, and look out. It's absolutely stunning. I said, to, I remember my prayer. I said, God, how generous are you? You created the mountains. The Rocky Mountains, they were carved by you, but you allowed us to create you. And I looked back because this one way I could look back, and it's the old bicentennial park. It was created in a way where when you look through its gates, you could see one road going all the way up to the museum campus. And all these museums, I'm like, wow. Can you imagine that God gave us the ability to build things with the forethought of how beautiful and how everything is? It, man, it blew my mind. And all I could think of was how generous God really is. You know what? If I have this mindset this changes mundaneness for me. And mundaneness is me doing the same thing every day, going down a road to nowhere. No, now I see it completely different. These character attributes were given to us and intended to be places for us to have intimate connection with God. God wants intimate connection. This is where all the fruit comes in our life. It comes right from that place. Prayer is not primarily me asking for him anything. It's me connecting with him. It's recognizing that he is my greatest love. And you know what? If he's my greatest love and my greatest advocate, why wouldn't I want to pray more? Amen? These were also meant to be mechanisms of worship because all humanity was made to worship that means because we've been given these things and they're avenues of our worship, when we do worship God through the, the refining of divine character, it gives us a portion of fulfillment and satisfaction. God wants you to live satisfied. He wants you to live fulfilled. And many times in my own life, when I'm not fulfilled and I'm not satisfied, it's because God's on one side of the room and I'm on the other. He says, turn circumstances and directions over to me. Not only where you're going, but how you're going there. And I will give you what you want for. Because I've looked for it for so many places and so many things and ways, and it just doesn't work. It really just doesn't work. So he says, I want you to have this fulfillment. I want you to have satisfaction. And I've given you these things so that we can have this intimacy together. Third thing that we have to understand is that we were given these divine characters to look like God, to be active participants in bringing blessing to others. We are part of the promise of Abraham. Your descendants will be a blessing unto the earth. That means when I go to work, wherever it is, I'm intended to be a blessing to everyone. Everyone. All right. Um, but also the Bible tells us this. Even though we're made in God's image, uh, it tells us that man believed a skillful and well-crafted lie. And that is a two-part lie, and it has always been there, and it will always be there. The first part of that lie is God can't be trusted. 
And you know what? Many people, even, you know, part of sanctification is walking away from distrust of God into trust of God. Because that's where all of disobedience comes from. I, I just can't trust God. So I, I got to take care of myself now, right? The other part of that lie goes, it's like the other half of the coin. Why would you worship him when you could worship yourself? Why worship a God when you can be God? After all, who's better to look out for you than you? All human beings believe that they are their best advocate. That's the struggle between God and man. This has always been a subtle thing throughout history, but we have now entered into a new era, and I want you to understand that we have now thrown off the restraints largely, and we have given ourselves fully over to self-worship. We have officially now, this is statistic, not opinion, where people believe if God exists, he is unknowable and unmeetable. There is no life beyond what we live today. That's 62% Gallup poll. Never happened in history, but it's now ours. So what we learn is in the Bible is this. Actions have consequences. Everyone who was born before 1980 knows that to be true. Do this, and this happens. If it's good, good things are going to usually come out of it. Do bad, and bad things are going to come out of it. Well, this is a bad consequence for action. What was, the, what was the consequence for the believing of the lie? Intimacy was now ruined. It is almost impossible for us to enjoy. Why? Too much distrust, too much competition, and too much self-pursuit. Order which was God's plan, is now distorted. Harmony is rare to find. It's hard to hold on to. You know why? Because it requires self-denial. If I'm really going, I always like to say this, God is the great conductor. He's the one who wrote this symphony, this beautiful thing, right? And he says, I've given you, a, a, I've given you an instrument to play. But if I play my own tune, and you play your own tune, and you play your own tune, and you play your tune, anyone who comes in here hears this racket and noise, God goes, stop! Listen to my direction. And it will become a beautiful, beautiful symphony. Here's another thing that I've learned about the symphony that God created. The most skillful of the players, they adjust themselves to make the least skillful sound better. If that's not God's plan, I don't know what is, man. Wow, that's really beautiful. God wants a beautiful symphony out of our life. So listen, here's the last part. God's provision and blessing, even though it is good, can become an ultimate affection, which means it can become an idol. Idols offer us fulfillment, but they only produce slavery. That means what I think I need more than God or equal to God, can't live without, will promise me joy. You're going to have joy. You're going to be full. Hey, come on, man. Who hasn't thought to themselves, I know money ruins people, but I'd sure like to have a chance to do it. You know, I'd like to, I'd like to have a couple million dollars. Millions of dollars ruins lives. Well, I'd like to have a chance to prove you wrong, Right? We all think like that. We all think, well, if I had more, if I had better, if I had bigger. But the truth of the matter is, if these things are not brought under to the greatest love of Christ, meaning put in a proper position, they will become a taskmaster in our life. That means, you know what, in effect, I will do what I need to do to keep it. That's slavery. 
The further society gets from God, the more flawed and frail human character will drive society's direction. The more humanity insists upon self-worship, the more distorted and warped Christians can become and is and has become. I don't want to start controversy, but people think crazy. Crazy. Now, we live in a world where truth is no longer a benchmark, it's no longer a standard, it has become a personal idea. So everyone does what they think is right. Opinion and experience has masqueraded itself as truth. That's bad. This is the world that we've been brought to. We have to live in a way that is against the current. This is our witness. This is our witness. Everyone's going like this. We don't look at them and judge them and say, you're going to hell. We say, no, this is giving you hell. We want you to live in light. Man, I was watching a little clip from The Chosen, and I know so many Christians have a problem with The Chosen. I love that clip. I love it. Jesus meets that guy at the pool of Siloam. I'm having a very bad day. And he goes, you've been having a bad day for a long time, my brother. He goes, what's in light? He goes, I'm trying to get into the water, but this guy won't help me. That guy gets in front of me. He's like, I didn't ask that. What do you want? And he goes, I want my legs to work. And he goes, well, that water's got nothing for you. The people that get in front of you, they're not stopping you. I'm here. All you have to say is this is what I want. And that's how you turn and face people. That's how you go through struggles to all humanity. Why do you want that when I can give you life? Man, this is powerful, powerful stuff. Let's look at work for just a two minutes. Because sin and the lie has taken in, uh, has, has planted itself in the world, work now has taken a different direction. It becomes easily a place where we can fall off to one side or another. It becomes a place of self-worship. I'm just going to tell you, not everyone, but largely throughout history, it tells us this, that the love of success, the love of power, the love of self in work has robbed the earth. It has exploited people. There have been countless of marriages that have been destroyed by it, and children who have been neglected by it. That's the dark side of work that's aimed at self. And then there's the other side that doesn't see any kind of a desirable reward. You know what? We have an entire demographic of people who are done with work. They're like, I don't want to work. Work's caused all the problems. I, I grew up in a divorced home because my father was never home. My, my mother left the family because my dad didn't care. My dad cheated on the family because he was so tired at work and he couldn't find satisfaction at home. So he went and looked elsewhere. It's caused all these things. So you know what they say? They're like, I don't want it. I don't care. I'll smoke dope and play video games. Tell me that's not happening. It's happening right before our eyes. And that's equally wrong. It's an equally warped view. They will do just enough to get by, but they will never see work's value. Can I tell you something about work? Work refines the soul. It's like an agent that polishes and shapes and strengthens and, 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 and it molds 
when you don't work and you just receive, it kills the soul. And we've all got examples of this. People we've even loved, you're like, can't you see what this has done to your soul? Man, we must live so differently from everyone else. It's kind of a bad, it's kind of a bad deal, right? But one thing I love about the Bible is there's a lot of buts in the Bible. Um, then enters Jesus. Everything changes when Jesus enters the room. I'm going to take just two minutes. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe two minutes. I can remember my kids. All, every year they would be at Tanti's and they would be part of the choir. And every Christmas they would always sing at one point, O Holy Night. You know, strangely enough, this is just something about how God hears our prayers. There was 50 kids up there every year. That was one of the most well-attended. Kids wanted to be on there, right? I could hear my kids specifically in everybody's hands. I want you to think about this. When you pray, God can hear your voice specifically. He's like, that's my son. That's my daughter. That's my <coughs> Anyways, <coughs> so they would sing <coughs> Oh Holy Night. Heard that song a million times, right? But how many times do you know that sometimes you can hear a song and never really listen to it? Until one day I punched it up, lyrics for Oh Holy Night. And I started to read it. And I'm going to give it to you. It says this. <coughs> Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared in soul felt its worth. And man, when I read that and I started doing a thrill of hope, the weary road rejoicing for yonder bright and new and glorious morning. And I said, fall on your knees. And I cried. I cried. So I, <coughs> and you know why I cried? Because I felt the worth of my soul. I was 50 years old, 40 years old when my kids, I never felt the worth of my soul. But I felt the worth of my soul. And why? Because it was this light. This God who came to me, who broke through to live here, clothed in the flesh, he created for me. I was overwhelmed. That's the difference between Christianity and salvation. You could be a Christian all you want, but only those who are saved have eternal life. Only those who are saved have eternal life. And what is salvation? surrender, saying, I want you, you as number one. I want you to fight for me. I want you to rescue me. I'm not making any promises to you. I want you to make promises to me. I want you to be my Savior. When Jesus enters into our life, we are welcomed now into divine purpose. Everything becomes for us a field of ministry. Four things, four things. This is where we can end. First, if I'm going to be a Christian who works, first of all, you're going to work one way or the other, okay? So this is the first thing that I realized for me. I cannot hijack the purpose of work. When I hijack the purpose of work and I make it about something that it's not, I will reap frustration, anger, 
and disappointment. Done it, done it, done it, and now I'm done with it. You know, I'm so done with it. This is how they train you. 25 years, all I wanted, hearing these guys with so many years, I'm retiring next year. I'm like, man, I can't wait to be that guy to retire. Now I'm on the edge of retirement, and I'm afraid to jump off the diving board. Why? Because I'm like a dog who's been trained to come to the bowl when they ring the bell. And God goes, who have you been trusting? Those guys? Really? Tom, come on, don't tell me you've trusted them. I'm the one who's been taking care of you. You're right. So I cannot hijack the purpose of work. I cannot do that. It is never going to be a place of ultimate satisfaction. It's never going to be for me a place of perfect security. It will never be a place of personal significance. Only the love of God has that position. If anything or anyone takes the number one spot in my life, it becomes an idol which will always enslave me. So I must resist making its purpose about my goals, and I let God dictate to me what he wants for me to do. Here's the second thing. This is what God wants. He wants you to remember that you work for him. You know what? When I was complaining at work, wasn't complaining about my bosses. I was complaining about God. Only I was ignorant. And God, because he's patient and really kind with stupid people, he said, I'm going to overlook that. I'm, I'm, because I love you, and I know who you are, I'm going to overlook that. So I have to remember that I work for the Lord on a very serious basis, and I've done this many times. I have clean streets where I have thought to myself, man, I want this street to be clean. Like Jesus is going to walk on it if you have a problem with this street. Jesus, I want you to be pleased. One time I had to park this crazy uh, uh, trailer, and it was hard getting it in this place. And it was hard because I couldn't get it on it. It was an old trailer. And I had, was wrestling with this, couldn't lift it up. I thought I could lift it up. It was couldn't lift it up. And God gave me a sign in the midst of it. It was like I was working with my Father in heaven. Literally. It was absolutely ingenious. I used a lever where I drew, drove the truck up a ramp so that I could lift it up. And then I put these blocks in the ramp and came back behind it. And I was like, God, that is good. And it was so stupid and little. Nobody cared. But I did. I did. Here's another one for you as they start to play. It is a place where I'm supposed to make the world a little bit better. You're like, wait a minute. Come on, Tom. Take it easy. I work at Target. I got to tell you something. We worship God by the way we treat our coworkers, our customers. We worship God by the effort and skill we use to accomplish our job. We worship God when we use our integrity and the use of our time. We worship God when we're dependable and committed. This is a witness to the world that doesn't believe, and it is a pleasure to God. Anyone who has children knows when you see your kids do something right and they don't, they don't know you're watching them, and you're like, oh, that kid, I love them, right? When they do the bad stuff, you're like, oh, hey, man. Here's the last one. Here's the last one. Work is not just relegated to a place I receive a paycheck. You know, for years and years, I used to think to myself, I broke all the laws except one, and I would say it. I'm not a thief. I never was a thief. I, I kid you not, there's so many vices in my life, so many. But I could walk into a room, there'd be money on the table, and I'd never think to take a, just a 
don't know why. It's not repulsive to me. It's just has no draw to me. What other things have a draw to me? Right? And I used to think to myself, you know what? I'd never be a Christian until the law came alive. Paul said that. You know what the, the law comes alive means? When you see Jesus, that's when the law comes alive. Everyone who thinks that they're righteous is only righteous until that law shows itself. When the perfection of Christ shines a light on you, you realize, oh, wait, I'm not perfect at all. As a matter of fact, I'm warped. I'm stuffed and I'm dirty. And you know what? I have no excuse. And you know what? I realize this. Work for those who follow Christ is an opportunity mindset. That is the blowing opportunity. God put me in a school Blah, 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 blah. Didn't want to hear him. Thought it was dumb. But it was an opportunity. I could have done better. I worked for people that gave me trust. And I blew opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. Because I chose pleasure and comfort over discipline, loyalty, and commitment. And I realized. Let's stand up. So we finish with this. If you're young, school is now your work. That means your job is to do the best with what you have. A's are not the goal. Character building is the goal. Being a good human being the way you were created to be is the goal. Being faithful, hardworking, trying to figure out ways to get over hurdles and around obstacles. Being grateful to teachers. Being positive in your attitude. That's the goal. Not A's. But I tell you this. It'll shine through. I don't care. If you're a student and you do those things, I guarantee your parents will not be disappointed with that kind of lifestyle. Here's another thing. Marriage. It's work. You know why? She's imperfect and so am I. But you know what I have to do? I have to strive to love my wife better. Because if I don't, I'll just love you more. Here's another one. Parenthood. Parenthood is not easy. It's work. It's growing. It's getting skillful. It's not doing things just because of the way it was done for me. It's looking at the past, not blaming anybody, saying, you know what, that wasn't the best way to do this. There are better ways to do it. Is it better for me to give them advice or to listen? Is it good for me to pray for my kids? Yes. Yes. Is it good for me to remind myself that even though they're my children, they're not my children? Is it good for me to remember, I don't care if they're little or not, that they're human beings made in God's image and I should But this is what it means. Friendship. Friendship is work. Because I have to be counted on. I have to be. You can't mail it in. Can't mail it in. So many people want to mail in Christianity. Punch in, hour and a half, go home. If that's what you want, and I don't say this mean or prideful, this is not the place for you. 
we're not going in that direction. We're not. It won't give you what you want, and I don't think it's what he wants. So we're not going there. What we want to do is we want to be counted on. We want to be present. We want to make time for relationship, for God to use us in connection with him. Amen? Let's worship God. You give life, you are love, you bring light to the darkness, you give hope, you restore every heart that is broken, and great are It's your breath in our lungs, so we pour out our praise, pour out our praise. It's your breath in our lungs, so we pour out our praise to you, only God. Great are you. the earth and all the earth will shout your praise our hearts will cry these bones will sing praise Sister, sister, right here. 
this is a beautiful sister in Christ. A text from who? Oh, my God. All right, listen, I, I, I'm sorry. I got a last-minute text from my better half. That's my wife. She's the brains of the outfit. I'm just a strong back to carry heavy things. Edward died. Today is his, the day of, of his internment. Uh, it's from 2 to 6. It's at Rago Brothers on Irving Park. Can I tell you something? It's going to matter. I don't know where the family is uh, in regards to their faith. I think it's a mixed bag like most of us. So please, if you can, stop by. Wish them well. Pray for them. Um, I will be there at 5 o'clock uh, to finish the service. If that's the time you want to be, we could all be together. Whatever. Just please, if you can, if you can be there. All right, listen, let's, let's pray. What we want to do, Lord God, is what we don't want to just pray and then leave. We want, we have a supplication. We understand that when that light arises and we feel the worth of our soul, now everything changes. We understand that life itself is worship. That means everywhere our feet are planted, everywhere our feet are planted is a place, it's an altar for us to worship you. That means work. That means words. That means motives. That means actions. Lord, can I tell you something? I can promise you till I'm blue in the face that I'm going to do, do, do. But I know this, apart from grace and apart from connection to you, I can do no good saying in John chapter 15 that if we abide in you and you abide in us that we will produce fruit so I'm asking that you would produce fruit in us as a congregation that we would be a place of flourishing that we would be a place of godly prosper that we would be a place that even the God of less would say they make this place better can I ask you that we pray this all with one voice, one heart, in Jesus' name. And all the saints said, you guys, I love you.